Hi, welcome to In the Pacha. I'm Sam Reinstein, and I discuss the weekly Torah portion each week with a different educator who brings their own insight to the portion. I'm a rabbi at Congregation Kol Israel in Brooklyn, where despite our relatively small size, we have a tremendously diverse set of congregants. Uh, through this, I noticed that there were not enough places to find high-level ideas taught in an accessible way. Um, me, uh, together with my family, have always wanted to make sure we can fill that void to be able to make Judaism accessible to those that uh, have not had that opportunity. And I hope this podcast further, furthers that cause. Um, whether you're new to Torah learning or just want to lead back experience, I hope you enjoy these conversations. Uh, this week, uh, for the first week, um, I have an old uh, an old friend of mine, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, my sister, uh, formerly known as Margot Reinstein, now Margot Botwinick. Uh, Margot, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. First, I have to say, especially with that introduction, I think it's really amazing what you're doing. Um, personally, I'm, of course, excited to be here for the very first one, but I'm also excited to listen to everyone else. And um, no, yeah, I'm proud of you. It's like, it's really, it's mission-driven and it's important. And I'm excited to share these and with, I don't know, with students and friends. <laughs> Thanks. Um, um, so, oh yeah, introduce yourself. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, so I'm Margot. I grew up in Teaneck, New Jersey with my brother, Sam. <laughs> um, <laughs> I um, went to um, Yeshiva University. Um, I did my master's at Hebrew University in Israel. Um, I taught Tanakh and Talmud for a couple of years in high school. Then my husband and I moved to Israel and we taught in the gap year schools in Yeshivot and Midrashot across Israel. Um, and now we're actually living in Herzliya. Um, we are the educators at the first OUJLIC at IDC, um, one of the colleges over here. And thank God it's been fantastic so far. And what's JLIC? For that is a Fantastic question. Um, wow, how to how to sum it up? But um, they're there for religious students on campus to help build community, Shabbat life, personal relationships, to learn with them, to raise the level of learning on campuses, and yeah, it's been amazing to do it here in Israel. Awesome. Uh, so we're we're going to start this podcast just with a really quick intro to um, the parsha of Bamidbar, um, the first parsha in Sefer Bamidbar. Um, so I'm going to try to do this in 30 seconds. Uh, Margo, can you time me? Well, yeah, and I just want to say I really like that idea because I'm sure we'll be focusing on specific points and just to get the general overview is like awesome. So okay, exactly. on the clock, three, two, one, go. So Bamidbar is the fourth book of. Tanakh of, of the Bible. Um, it's called Bami Bar because it starts with the word in the desert, um, called numbers in English because it starts with counting the people of military age. Um, each Nasi counts their tribe. Um, then it talks about the formations of the movements in the Midbar with the Mishkan in the middle, the tabernacle in the middle. Um, the Levium are guarded with taking care of the Mishkan and carrying um, the vessels of the tabernacle. Um, and they're chosen over the firstborns. Um, turns out there are 273 extra firstborns, so they each had to donate five shekels to be redeemed um, instead of becoming Levites. Wow. How did I do? Very impressive. You were at 36 seconds, but it was still very good. Okay. Oh gosh, <laughs> Bamid Bar is hard. Some other parashiot are going to be much more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> you did a great job. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so now um, we're going to each um, have, to, we're going to have two conversations. Um, first, Margo is going to lead a conversation about one part of the Parsha, and then I'm going to lead another conversation about a different part of the Parsha. Um, awesome. So Margo, take it away. 
Sure. Um, I actually, it, you know, it's always interesting to see the way that somebody is going to summarize any Parsha, any Torah portion, because of course, through summarizing it, you're already giving a perspective. You're already giving commentary and an approach. Um, and I'm sure you tried to be objective there, but I think it's so funny that one of the things that you mentioned was that it's called Sefer Bamidbar because it begins with the words in the desert, um, right? Um, right? Um, and I actually, that's actually something I want to challenge today and, and talk about a little bit. Um, but first, I guess to sort of give a different perspective on what this what this safer what this book is about um is that we're in the midst of a story of a people that have been through a lot right they they there there have been a lot of accomplishments and yet i would say they're really really struggling throughout there's a set, setback after setback after setback you know we we have the splitting of the sea kriyat yamsuf and it's so miraculous. It's so amazing. And then immediately after that, they fall prey to their fears. They get scared. They want to go back, right? They're standing at Harsinai, Mount Sinai. They literally received the Torah from God and shortly after that succumbed to the sin of the golden calf. They're sustained by the manna, right? This miraculous food, giving them everything that they need in this desert. And yet they're struggling. They haven't mastered what it really means to rely on God for this manna, um, which is really what it actually takes for it to work. Um, and, you know, there, there's so many more examples of this, but I just thought those were some good ones where I think that's something I want to analyze a little bit. Um, I think part of the idea of the safer of this book is that all of these huge, tremendous things are happening to the Jewish people that should cause immediate faith in God, like seeing blatant miracles in front of their eyes. And yet the Jewish people don't trust him and they don't have right. faith in him. And I think part of the idea that I want to get to is that's is because that's not how trust works. Um, it's not something that God can force upon us and it's not something that happens instantaneously, but it's something that takes time. And the Jewish people are right. going to need to realize it for themselves. I'm sorry? Interesting. That builds. Exactly. Just like any relationship. Um, right, right, right. And to, you know, to, for the Jewish people to internalize that and to truly feel that trust in God, it, it's different than just like knowing, oh yes, you know, I, I, I believe in him, I trust him, or I'm meant to believe in him and trust him. Um, so should we, should we start? Should we jump right in? Yeah. Okay. You know, the very first passage, let's just read it in, in full. Let's say, okay. Basically the, you know, the reason that I wanted to discuss this idea was because it really struck me this very first pasuk, um, where I say, well, you know, I'm going to ask you to translate here. How would you translate that? Okay. And, and God spoke to Moshe, um, in the deserts of Sinai, in the, in the, um, right. Right. And what struck me right away in this translation, I think that's the translation that most, um, you know, art scroll or JPS or whatever translation you're using will give you is actually looking more closely at the root word. And this is something really only that you'll notice when you're looking at the Hebrew itself. It's actually the exact same root word. And I was just thinking, you know, it's the same root. Yeah. Like we we're so used to translating. You know, I always think it's so funny the way that the books of the Bible are translated, you know, Brishit, Genesis, Vayikra, 
Leviticus and Devarim, Deuteronomy, um, what, you know, where, where these words come from, I, I think is an interesting question, but Bamidbar, we translate as the book of numbers. Now we're saying, oh, it means, you know, in the desert. Um, and I'm looking straight at this very introductory verse, the introductory pasuk. And I'm just like, what do you mean? There's, there has to be something going on here. Um, so Wait, because what do you mean because the roots are the same like what do you mean by the exactly. roots are the same the roots are ex- that's a very very good question um to understand what i'm saying i think we under i have to under have a little bit more of an understanding of the grammatical basis of the way that grammar in hebrew works um because yes you i think you can hear it by the bamid bar that this root word the the dalad the bet and the resh the the d the b and the r however you want to say it have the same root word but they're in different grammatical forms um i was looking a little bit into this um and i came across an article by rabbi michael hatin or had him actually had i'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his name but i read his articles <laughs> all the time um he is a rabbi at shivat haratzion at gush at, in at the uh, yeshiva called Gush in Israel, and Alon Shvut. And he writes about how Hebrew, like other Semitic languages, recognizes the existence of families of words that are grouped together, not according to their meaning, but according to their grammatical form. So to explain what I mean by that, right, there's a lot of words that have similar gram- grammatical form, sound similar to a similar pattern to Midbar, right? Some of the more known ones, let's say Mishpat, Mikdash, Miklat, Mizrach, Mizbeh, right? Even without me explaining exactly the grammar rules behind it, you hear what I'm saying, that it has the exact, a similar grammatical form. Um, And I think when I was looking further into this, um, we learn that this general grammatical form means the place of that root word. Let me explain to you what I mean. So Mishpat, how would you translate Mishpat? A court, um, right? Right. And, I mean, you could translate it as court, um, but really what it's is a court? It's the place of judge. Exactly. It's the a place, place of, judgment. of judgment. That's yeah. what a court is. It's a place of judgment. Mikdash. What's a mikdash? It's a temple. Right. But what's a temple? It's a place. Place, a place of, of holiness. Oh, yes, a place of holiness. Exactly. Miklat. There's an organization called Miklat in Israel for um, women who have survivors of domestic abuse. Um, and it's an organization that is a safe haven. A Miklat in Israel is a bomb shelter, right? It's a safe space, which we'll call refuge, right? I think an interesting one is even Mizrach, um, which I think many people have up in their home to tell you which way to face when we're praying. We say that Mizrach means, how would you translate Mizrach? Uh, East. East, right? But really, what is Mizrach? It's a place of rising because the east Uh, is where the sun rises right right. Um, and i'll just give one more example because we could keep going on just another famous one mizbeach how would you translate mizbeach um an altar uh, right right right, right. a sacrificial altar exactly a sacrificial altar but really what is a mizbeach it's a place of slaughter it's a place of altar so now of course bringing it back to our example here of what does midbar mean bamidbar it's a place of Daber of of speaking. (laughs) Exactly. A place of, so you're translating Daber speaking, and I would say that we have to look into that um, further, but that would seem to be what makes most sense. So um, the Radak, Rav David Kimchi, he's from 13th century Spain. Um, He wrote a book in his book, Sefer Hashorashim, literally the book of grammatical roots. Um, He says the fundamental root of Bamidbar or of this root, 
you know, Dalad Betresh DBR is not to speak, but it's to guide or to lead. That the Midbar is associated with grazing land because it's where sheep are led to pasture. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) And that in the human dimension, now if we were to take this to the human dimension, and he doesn't say this exactly, but I think that you can extrapolate it. In the human dimension, what is the Midbar? It's a place where man enters without that proper guidance, right? The Midbar is the place of being led. Meaning, what I'd like to suggest is that the title of this book, Sefer Bami Bar, is actually a profound commentary on the entire book itself. It's telling us that this is a place where God is just guiding the, is guiding the people. And that's not mm-hmm. just geographically guiding us, but spiritually guiding us too. And if I were just to go back to the main point, and I'll, I'll, maybe I'll close here. Uh, I don't want to take up all of the time, but back to the beginning point. How can it be that this keeps happening, that the Jewish people are experiencing such miraculous things and everything is so amazing and there's the splitting of the sea and they're getting the mana and they still don't have that faith, right? And there's a lot of answers to this question, but I would like to suggest that one answer is that you just can't force faith. You can't force trusting God. It's not, it's not like a magic trick. The only thing that God can do is bring us into the meat bar. A place where he can guide us, which is really what this word means. And that while God guides us, ultimately the goal is that the Jewish people will realize this for themselves, right? To, to, to go from knowing like intellectually to internalizing something, to truly feeling that trust, it's, it's very different. And that's something that's going to take time. In fact, it's going to take 40 years. Um, and I, I think I would even argue that 40 years isn't just a, a, a number in Tanakh, but for many people, 40 years is is a significant amount of time that it, it really takes to right. believe something. Um, right, it's like a full unit. Yeah, exactly. A full unit of time. Exactly. Right. Um, you know, just to make it a, a bit practical, um, I've had this with so many things in life um, that I know it, and it just takes sometimes years to actually internalize it or someone will give me advice on something or even critique and I'll listen and I'll hear it, but I I don't actually internalize what they're saying, unfortunately, often until something really goes wrong or I have to learn it the hard way. Um, Maybe I'll just give one example and I don't know if you'll relate to it also, Sam. Um, I I just think an example I'm thinking about now, um, especially because I, my husband and I recently moved to Israel, um, is actually just the concept of Israel. I grew up in a very, very Zionistic environment um, in a place that supported Israel, that speaks about Israel in really an amazing environment that's very supportive of Israel, constantly talking about Eretz Israel. I did a year in, in Israel after you know spending a year learning Torah. Um, and it was only actually in that year in Israel that it actually hit me that, whoa, I should be living here. Um, and, oh, sorry, I hear my son crying in the background. Do you hear him? I think my husband's going to get him. Though. Okay. Okay, sorry. That's okay. Um, okay, sorry. So it took me a very long time to actually internalize that, like, wait a second, I'm actually supposed to be living here. And I'll just tell you a, a short conversation that, you know, because we speak, we spoke about it all the time. And I said to my teacher, um, one of my teachers from high school, um, who actually does live in Israel now, you know, why didn't you ever tell us? It was actually Shana Goldberg, for those those listeners that might know her. Um, she's also a teacher now living in Alon Shvut. And I said to her, you know, wh- why did you never 
tell me that I'm meant to live in Israel. Like, I just feel like, you know, we you know got so excited. We wore our Israeli day flags on Yom Ma'ud on Israeli Independent Day. But I just, it was never like, you know, this is actually something that you're supposed to be doing with my life. And her response to me was, Marco, are you serious? Are you? We spoke about it all of the time and she pointed out all the different ways, be it through prayer or through our learning or everything that we were doing in our Bible classes, trying to show us that this was something that was important. And I said to her, you know what? You're right. I think you you were telling it to us, but that's what I'm trying to say. Going from knowing something to actually internalizing it and, or, or saying this does apply to me or recognizing that it's meant to is a completely different story. And, and to end, I guess, I just think that that's exactly what was happening with the Jewish people here. They knew, they yeah. understood God was there for them. They understood they're meant to have a relationship with him. They understood they're meant to keep the Torah. They're, they understood that it's going to guide their lives and make it better. But to realize that that takes time. Interesting. Right. Yeah. I think I've had that feeling. Um, cause I have an 18 month old. Um, so, so I think I've had that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, um, and, um, I, I think I've had that feeling around parenting cause I already knew, and it makes sense to talk to you about this, I guess, but I, I always knew like how much mom and dad did for us. You know, like obviously there's, there's like so much more than the obvious things of like, you know, taking us places and paying for our education. There's like so much surrounding it um, that you don't even realize, especially as babies, right? I never realized quite how much, I mean, I knew they took care of us as babies, but like, I never really appreciated it until I had to do it myself. Um, and now I'm like really, you know, I really much more see that. Um, and I'm sure you do too. Yeah. Um, so, so, nice. so shout out to mom and dad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and shout out to all parents out there. Yeah, my um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, shout out to, you know, every, everyone that has to take care of kids um, because it's, it can be rewarding, but it, it's also really hard and you don't really appreciate it until you kind of have to do it yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, sure. I would, you know, to, I know, you know, the goal here is not to give the listeners uh, any muster or anything like that, or, you know, try and you know, um, change anyone. I'm, I'm just saying, I, I would venture to say that a big idea of this time of year, as we go through this safer of bombing bar of guidance is try and think about those things that are important to us that we want to do that we know, and that and, and work on truly internalizing them. Um, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, thanks so much. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift over to a different part of the parsha. Um, a different part of that parsha, as I said earlier, um, was about the Levim, the Levites, um, being chosen um, to take care of the temple. And the way they're told to take care of the temple is is very different than what I was expecting, um, because I was expecting them to be told to take care of the temple. It being about them helping the the priests, helping the Kohanim, um, them doing the songs that you always hear about, um, you know, making the party a little more lively, yeah. being educators, um, that type of stuff. Um, but that's not how it's told. Um, in um, Bamidbar th- chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, so it says that they're supposed to be, um, they shall safeguard his charge and the charge of the entire of the assembly. They should Vishamru um, et mishmarto that mishmeret kolaida. They should protect um, the charge. They should safeguard it and the safeguarding of um, the entire assembly. And that's just not what I would have thought. Um, that they're supposed to stand guard and they're supposed to be there um, to stand guard of the temple and the tabernacle. And the reason why that's surprising is because, as I said, also the formation, the tabernacle smack in the middle. 
it doesn't really need um, 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 it doesn't mean um, about anything about protecting it because it's in the middle, right? You need to get through the entire nation to get to the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, um, the Gemara in Arachin actually says something, the Talmud says something very similar, that they're there not to protect the temple. They're there to give honor to it. So the, the way I think about it is like the like the Royal Guard in Buckingham Palace, if you've ever been there. <laughs> um, they're clearly not there to like protect it. Um, I guess they're there to protect it on some level, but it gives like a ton of honor to the place when you have all these people standing outside of it, right? It, it means that it's important. And when you protect it and you safeguard it, um, you give this like real big honor to it because it means you hold it dear, right? Like when you put something in a vault, um, it means you care about it and you think it's really important and you don't want to get it broken, right? It's not necessarily um, because it really needs protection necessarily. It might just be because you think it's important. I love that. Um, and, and so I, I was reading in Rav Asher Weiss. Um, he's a, um, a, a rabbi that's alive nowadays. Um, that's a Rosh Hashiva. Um, he goes around speaking. Um, he, he runs a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and he has a Torah commentary and a, um, a question and answer book um, where he, he answers people's like intense questions on halacha um, and it's called Minchas Asher. Um, so he talks about in, on, on this parsha um, that the Levium had two roles. One was to honor the Torah and to safeguard it and to protect it for the sake of honoring it. And one was to bring joy to it, to, um, you know, sing and to play music and to make it exciting. And he argues that that's supposed to be um, the the two ways we're supposed to, uh, um, in our own Judaism, is take care of our own Judaism. On the one hand, it's important to safeguard it, um, to take care of our Judaism, to you know, to make sure we're doing the laws as, as prescribed. But at the same time, we also need to like find, find joy in it and be excited about it. And, you know, like find ways to be like, find happiness in what we're doing. And those two things are part and parcel of the same. They're like two halves to the same coin. Um, and, and therefore that's the, the Levium are focused on doing both of those. Very nice. Um, yeah, and I and I hope that I mean honestly, part of this podcast idea I think is is that we're going to be doing high ideas and, and important ideas, and we're safeguarding the tour that way. But I hope hope it's also accessible and fun and um, nice to listen to. And I, I think on, on some level that's the goal here. Yeah, I you know to not challenge your idea, I think, but maybe to sharpen it. Um, I wonder if there's something to the idea that it you can't always be both honoring and enjoying, meaning sometimes there is that fear of God and that intensity that comes and that's important. Um, And almost from that will come the happiness and the joy. And for those that only want Torah to be fun and exciting and happy and and are missing that respect and that, uh, I, I can't think of the word, but the, the seriousness with which Torah learning is meant to have, you're there. I agree with you. They're 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 part of the same thing, although they can't always be at the same time. Right, sure. And I, I wanted to, to to further this point with um, oh, oh so even better that they can't be at the same time. I, now that I realize, um, so there's a a, a midrash um, that a, Le- a Levite that was in charge of of singing wasn't allowed to do the guarding. 
And one that was guarding is not allowed to do the thing, right? So it's very much what you were just saying. Interesting. Right, that that they they they're both vitally important and they're part of it, but they 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 won't they they're not even necessarily always meant to be. At the yeah, same I love time. that, and I would argue at different stages in life, depending on where you are, you need more of that happiness or perhaps more of that respect. For sure, um, and I just wanted to to end this um, with um, if you look at the there's prayers that you say at the beginning of your day called Birchat Torah, um, the prayers over Torah study. Um, if you don't say them at the beginning of the day, you can say them before you learn. Um, but I'll read it in English, and I think you see this idea very sharply. Um, Please, Hashem our God, sweeten the words of your mm-hmm. Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Right at the one hand, you're studying the Torah for its own sake. You're you're giving honor to it by 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 bringing it down to the next generation and by doing it just for the sake of doing it. At the same time, you're asking for to sweeten the words of Torah to make them joyous, to make them happy. Um, and those two things are intertwined. Maybe as we said, not at the same time, um, but but those two things are integral to Torah study. Yeah, I love that. I I, I think it's true. Just seeing as Judaism as I think that's something we are both privileged to be raised with, that Judaism was just, it, it was fun. <laughs> we loved it growing up. We loved the holidays right. and we loved the singing and our, our, our family Shabbat table. And not everyone is, is raised with that sort of love and, and, you know, not to make this whole podcast about our parents, but I do think that there's, there's something to that, to like having that love of Judaism, which again, you know, hand in hand with the respect. Yeah. And and I think that's the goal of every teacher, right? To give some seriousness and also, but to also give some joyousness. Give, give over that and, love, yeah. Um, if you're only doing one of those, um, then then it either won't be serious or won't be fun, and it won't won't uh, it won't um, you know be integrated into the person. It, you won't be guiding um, just to combine the two a little bit. Totally, you, and you won't be guiding yeah, somebody. I would say, um, it won't it won't go. Into yeah, that. I would I would also add to that that even. Um, love that we're speaking about, a love of Torah has those elements that if we speak, let's say love of a romantic partner, of course it's fun. Like it should be fun. You should be laughing together. Um, and then there's also that, that seriousness that when, when things get harder, that, that real respect that comes when you really love someone. For sure. Um, Okay. Um, awesome. Um, so thank you so much, Margot, for coming on. I know it's hard um, all the way from Israel when you also have a baby. <laughs> um, Yoshi, Yoshi's also adorable. And um, and um, so thank you for coming Sam, on. Sam, thanks for doing this. And I'm looking forward to the future ones. Yeah, great. Um, so pay attention to In the Pacha uh, for the next coming episodes on Parshat Nassau and Baloska uh, that should be coming up really soon. Uh, have you a too. good day. Bye.